Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. I am glad to be back. It's been a couple weeks of a hiatus, a little bit, just because. But I'm glad to be here again this morning. We're going to talk Christian nationalism. I had some friends that had been encouraging me to get back on Twitter. I did, and it took me about 10 minutes to see the dumpster fire. And also, I got to see fellow Baptists making terrible comments about political theology and dogging Christian nationalism. And I want to address that, talk about that, hopefully clarify a few things, and talk about the on-ramp for Christian nationalism, or really just Christianity in the public square, institutionalized Christianity. What is the on-ramp for that, for the Baptist? And so I want to address that. Let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's help, and we'll trust that he gives it. Father, we just thank you for this time. I need clarity, I need wisdom, and I pray that I would be concise and helpful. And, and ultimately, I want to be faithful to your word, obviously, and honor you. And so I, I just trust you're going to help me do that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. First, before we get into the Josh Bice tweet and the content that I have prepared this morning, I want to remind you about the Shepherd's Crook Intensive. This right here is the 2023 Intensive Hat. I want to encourage you guys to come. You can follow the link in the show notes. I would love for you to be there. If you don't know what the Intensive is, it's three days, two nights in Eminence, Missouri. Guys from all over the country come together. And we are intentionally challenged on the river, two days floating on the river, Jacks Fork River. We're going to go about 50 miles, 40-ish something miles. That's a lot of fun. Beautiful river. It's one of the best places in the country to float on a river, to canoe float. You guys are going to have a blast if you come. $185 covers the cost of the float. It covers all the food and it covers your lodging. If you want a tent camp, you you will have to bring a tent. Uh, It's $185 if you want a tent camp, $300 if you want a cabin. So if you want to reach out to me, I'd appreciate it. Link in the show notes. Like I said, it's a phenomenal trip. This is the fifth annual trip and I look forward to doing this, Lord willing, years to come. Okay. Let me go ahead and talk about this Josh Bice tweet, and then I want to talk institutional Christianity for a little bit, and then we'll get into this Christian nationalism bit here uh, in a few minutes. Okay, even if you could baptize America, it wouldn't make America a Christian nation. The theological arm of the Christian nationalism debate is extremely flawed. Nominal Christianity is not Christianity. Carnal Christianity is not Christianity. Our aim is Christianity. Oh my. Okay. There's a lot here and a lot frustrating about comments like this. One of the things that I mentioned to A.D. Robles, by the way, A.D. Robles uh, dogged me for having books in the back. I switched my room around a little bit, my office around, and so now I don't have as many books. I just have my William Barclay, my uh, one of my favorite heretics right there that you can see. And let's see who's over here that you can see. I got uh, my Rush Dooney Institute of Biblical Law. I don't think you can see that. And so I just have a few books back here. So now I'm not trying to, to look smart and, and uh, you know, I don't want to be embarrassing or anything like that. So I've switched my room around a little bit. Okay. You do see my Gadsden flag barely right there. And okay. Now with all that said, institutionalized Christianity, this is the pushback. And I think very weak straw man pushback that we get from some Baptists when, when they begin to talk political theory. And one of the frustrating things about what you see on Twitter and these kinds of comments is how underdeveloped the thinking is on this particular issue. That seems like there's no, there's like this cognitive disconnect that from dissonance, from church history, from biblical authority to an understanding, even after the last three years, what the role of the civil magistrate is. 
And for some reason, I, I don't know, it seems like people's political theory still has stinted even after the last three years. And it, see, 2020 till today has required so many pastors and so many young guys to understand God and government, to really press into the scriptures and say, what, what is the obligation of the civil magistrate, if any, that God gives? And then how does that play itself out in the public square? And is it good for us to have Christians in that particular role in the state? local, federal positions of authority, elected or appointed authority, and all these questions has driven people to the word. And what I've seen is people have become really robust in their understanding of God and government, except many mainline Baptist and even mainline Reformed Baptist people like Josh Bice in this particular tweet. When you put straw man arguments up or even make a poll, which he did just yesterday or a couple days ago, where he said who would be up for a Protestant pope, literally Nobody in the Christian nationalism world is saying something like that, that I've seen. Nobody is, that's, that's not the argument. What we're trying to understand here is what the Bible has prescribed the civil magistrate to do in a local or national kind of role. Okay, so God has made all tribes and tongues, nations and colors matter, peoples and places matter. And how those peoples and places are governed matter. And no, no matter what sort of government is in place, in whatever single culture you find yourself in, any single culture you find yourself in, whatever government is there, every single government has derived authority from God. It has delegated and regulated authority by God. Meaning, in every single government system, even in a monarch, what, what you have above that king or queen or whoever is the word of God. And they are subject to that word. God's word is authoritative over any and every single form of magisterial rule. Okay? We have to understand that. And if that's the case then, then the magistrates or whoever's elected or appointed who has some sort of a, a civil control or authority, they have to be subject to that word. And so we have to understand these things rightly. But first, I want to talk about institutional religion or institutional Christianity, because some of the debate seems to be, well, you can't have a Christian nation because you can't baptize a nation. And I think that is foolish argumentation. And I think it's, this is Jonathan Lehman. This is all this public square. This is Russell Moore. This is just silly, foolish stuff. And I'm saying silly and foolish, not because I think these men are silly, silly or foolish, because, because it's underdeveloped. And it seems so underdeveloped that it, it, that it is, uh, it's almost intentional, it feels like, because when you dog Christendom and saying Baptists can't be on board with Christendom, you're literally saying in the, saying that in the context and have the liberty to say, say these sorts of things in the context of Christendom. It's bizarre. And we're going to get into a couple of books on Christian nationalism. I want to go straight to the sources here in just a little bit. But first, institutionalized religion. Vody Bauckham made some really good comments about this in a Founders that Founders pre-conference that they did a few months back. And he just talked about how silly it is when you, you say you can't have a Christian nation. And then he says, well, what about a Christian family? What about a Christian school? And immediately your defenses begin to come down and think, oh, oh yeah, clearly that's, that's the case. We say we can't have a Christian nation. Okay, what about a Christian family? We're Baptists, okay? And for my Presbyterian brothers and sisters out there, they're, they're coming at this at a covenantal approach, and they say, well, you can baptize families. You can baptize nations, uh, you know, your Great Commission, and that sort of thing. And, and Baptists are over here saying, okay, well, we're not baptizing families, but we do have Christian families. And even Presbyterians with baptized households recognize that not every single child in the home, even a baptized child, is necessarily born again. Okay, they're not they're not uh, baptismal regeneration folks. So 
There is a recognition still of a need to be born again that a Christian family doesn't necessarily mean that every single person in the family is Christian. And that's the case with the Baptist world as well. As you can say that there is a Christian family with Christian principles, with, uh, you know, our founding principles as the Sparks family is one of Christianity. God's law is supreme. And I have requirements and obligations in our home to my unsaved children that they have to obey my word. They have to honor their father and mother, and they have to obey ultimately God's word. I, I require them to obey God's word. And you say, well, how can they obey God's word? They're not Christians. Okay, let the law do the work. I mean, the law brings us to the gospel, right? The law cuts. The first use of the law for my children, where they're expected to obey. And as they realize and see, my goodness, I'm sinning against God, then by the grace of God, they're born again. And Presbyterians believe this as well. They, they want their children to be born again. They're, you must be born again. I mean, we're good confessionally reformed people here, folks. And and so when we're talking about a Christian family, we're recognizing that, that just because we're saying we have a Christian family and our that God's laws, principles, commandments are the norm in our home and the expected behavior of our norm, we're also recognizing that that, that means that not everybody in the family, that's Lord willing, and my expectation is that all of my children will become Christians. But there's a recognition that um, that, that doesn't mean that everybody is born again. But the epicenter of evangelism and discipleship is in the home, and you expect your children to obey God's word. You're requiring them to obey you and honor you because God requires them to obey and honor you. Okay, get it? Okay, well, what about a Christian school? If you go to a Christian school, I, I went to a Christian school from my uh, sixth grade year to my sophomore year of high school, and there were founding documents for that Christian school. There were expected norms, there were biblical principles and commandments that were expected to be uh, obeyed and adhered to. There were bylaws that were uh, aiming to be biblical and to be faithful to God's word. And it was a voluntary thing. We were voluntarily at that school. We could leave. We could go to another school, just like people can go to another nation. But if we voluntarily came there, we were expected to assimilate in, and even the non-Christian children that were at the school, they still had to adhere to these principles and practices laid down by the bylaws and the expectations of the board of the school, which were, were Christian. They were Christian in principle and in practice. Meaning, they had the Bible as their authority, and they recognized that they were under the authority of God's Word, and they were trying to then give a Christian education to these students according to the principles of the Scripture. And they expected everybody that was there to abide by these cultural norms, biblical norms, biblical principles and practices that were put in place. That's a Christian school. Not saying that that school is baptized, not saying that that school itself as an institution is even catechized or anything like that, or not saying that that, that institution itself means that everybody that's there is a Christian. That's not what we're talking about here. I mean, use your mind here. Come on, folks. Seriously. What about a Christian nation? What about a nation? Now, George Smeaton, let me get the book real quick. George Smeaton is one of my favorite theologians. He wrote two volumes on the atonement. He's written on the Holy Spirit, and he's not really, he didn't really write a whole lot, but he was a really good guy in the 19th century, and there weren't many good guys in the 19th century. You have Spurgeon, and uh, especially later in the 19th century. So the back half of the 1800s, George Smeaton was doing some really good work, and he's from Scotland, and he writes to the Free, Free Church of Scotland, and he's got a really great chapter on here called... Uh, and you can get this from Banner of Truth. You can't find it. I looked online. And he highlights the Free Church of Scotland and how you can have a state church, and yet you have autonomy or power authority in ecclesiastical affairs within the church itself, and yet it be a state church. 
His article is called The Scottish Theory of Ecclesiastical Establishments. It was written in 1875. I highly recommend you get that because if you're a Baptist and you're wondering, well, how does this work within Baptist ecclesiology? This is a, he was not Baptist. However, his structure here and what he has outlined here in this political theory is, is phenomenal. It's just it's classic reform political thought and uh, in, in, in the Scottish Presbyterian Ism. Okay, so it's really good, uh, really helpful. But for Baptists as well, you're like, how does this work with autonomy? And that's a really good way to look at it and see it. But well, let's think about nation for a second. Okay, when you think about founding documents of a school, well, what about found doc- founding documents of a nation? What are the founding principles of, of that particular nation? Now, okay, cr- when you talk Christian nationalism, there's two books that have been written in the last year that uh, are, are really the, that are defending Christian nationalism. One was uh, Torba and uh, Andrew Isker, the CREC pastor. And the other is Christian Nationalism by Stephen Wolf. I've had Wolf on my show, not had Torba or Isker. If you guys want to come on, I'd love to have you on at some point. Uh, but I have had Stephen Wolf, and we had a really great conversation and talked a lot about this book. And I pushed back a little bit. My on-ramp for Christian Nationalism, as stated, is, is different, but is really helpful, and I really love the book. And what's clear about these dissenting voices from this idea and and from these from from this work is that these guys have not read the, the books. They've not read it. They're, they're hearing about it. They're hearing the banter online. They're confused about it. And in their confusion, they're making comments publicly instead of doing the research, doing the work, reading the book, and then thoughtfully, as a brother would with another brother, thoughtfully engage with these ideas. And if you disagree based on Baptist history, if you disagree on you know your confession for some reason, um, then make those arguments. If you if you go to the Word of God and, and make your arguments of, of, of uh, and your voice of disagreement heard based on you know your convictions from God's Word. But that's not what's being done. And so when you think about the actual founding documents, the, the appendix of, of the book Christian Nationalism is really helpful because what he does is he goes through the 13 colonies, he goes through the original um, um, communities that were established, Roanoke, Virginia, Jamestown, Virginia. And what Torba does is he talks about how every one of them have some sort of, something like this in the document, that they are establishing themselves by uh, uh, Tend to the glory of divine majesty and propagating the Christian religion to such people and yet live in darkness and miserable ignorance of the true knowledge of the worship of God. They're establishing these communities, the Plymouth at Massachusetts Bay colony, these different colonies, and then the, the, the colonies were established to propagate the Christian religion. The, the, you go through this and you read every single one of their founding documents. And what do they all have in common? They're all talking about God as supreme power, almighty. They're all talking about Christianity and establishing churches, this is clear. I mean, you, you read this and you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's absolutely clear. There's a lot of confusion when people talk about no, the separation of church and state or the freedom of religion in our country. Roger Williams was this one dissenting voice in Rhode Island, and people in Baptist circles appeal often to Roger Williams, but Roger Williams was this outlier, and I think he was, I think he was just wrong on, on several things, and I think he seemed to be... Uh, Seemed to love the Lord and all of that, but I think his his uh, some of his foundational principles that he was arguing for have led to what where we are today. We're believing that pluralism is virtuous or something like that. But let me just clear this up: the founding fathers talk about the freedom of religion. They're talking about the freedom of Christian denomination. They're not talking about invading pluralism from other nations in the world. You know, if you want to come to our country, you can come and assimilate in. But if you're voluntarily coming here as an immigrant, then you're coming here recognizing this is how it should have worked all along until like the 1960s or something like that. It, recognition that this is a Christian nation. This, 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 this is established as a Christian nation. This is irrefutable. 
Now, that doesn't mean that every single person in the nation was Christian, but the founding documents, practices, principles, and the governing, the governing documents all were established trying to understand the supreme authority of God and his word, and then trying to derive things from that. Now, when we get into the, the, found, the, the founding fathers, we get into actually um, the establishment of our country, we, we'd already kind of... Uh, 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 de- devolved a little bit as a nation. But when you look at the founding documents of so many of these colonies, it's ludicrous to say that this this country somehow from the beginning valued pluralism or global religions and being equally adhered to and revered and protected and all that kind of stuff. It's ridiculous. And so when, when you think about a nation, think about it with a school or a family that a nation can have and should have, should have, a recognition of the supreme authority of God and his word, and then function underneath that in such a way that builds social norms, practices, and laws that are good for every constituent and every citizen in that particular state. The somehow lie is that the laws of men give more freedom to men than the laws of God. The laws of God are the best for all people, Christian or non. This is what we have to acknowledge. Now, when we get into Christian nationalism by Stephen Wolf, and this is what uh, this is what Josh Bice should have went to. This is what he should have appealed to, and he should have acknowledged what Stephen Wolf said here in this uh, book on page two seventeen. He addresses Baptist in particular. He says this because he's coming at, at Christian nationalism in a covenantal sense. Here's what he says: Credo baptism likely creates problems for Christian nationalism. It is no accident that Baptists tend to be advocates of near absolute religious liberty. And this is not only due to their tradition of descent. And this is not only due to their tradition of descent. Their theology of baptism restricts Christian obligation to credo-baptism, and thus the mass of society. And I would disagree with that point, by the way. It restricts Christian obligation to credo-baptist, uh, to the credo-baptized. My children are were not baptized, but they had Christian obligations of God's law laid upon them from their parents because they are required to obey me and required to obey God as the non-Christian is. They are held accountable to God's law. Their theology of baptism restricts Christian obligation to the, to, to the credo-baptized and thus the mass of society, at least in the formative years, do not in principle have Christian obligations. It's difficult to see how cultural Christianity, as I've described it, could operate effectively with that theology. Pedo-baptism is consistent with Christian nationalism because it makes possible a society that is baptized in infancy and thus is subject to Christian demands for all of life. So his approach is covenantal. Now, I told him this on my episode with him, in my conversation with him, is that the on-ramp for Christian nationalism, or th- this word is, is new, right? We're, we're talking about here, we're trying to grapple with just the, the, the public just public theology or uh, a good, robust political theology or theory uh, that, that's biblical and historic, and we're getting this term Christian nationalism because it's been used as a pejorative and we're just owning it, right? Just saying, all right, whatever. But but think about this. Here's the on-ramp for Baptist, for Christian nationalism and obligations within a state, family, or uh, an institution, or even a church. Uh, okay, the obligation is the authority of God's word. God's word is authoritative to everyone, and nobody gets to just put their arm out and stiff arm God's word because they don't accept it. Your acceptance of what God says doesn't determine whether or not it's authoritative over you. This is the the truth with every individual and every single nation. God's law is the supreme authority. And we recognize that. 
We see that in our confession. We see that in God's word. If you go to chapter 24 in the London Baptist Confession, Josh Bice or anybody else, and just read about how the civil magistrate is to maintain justice and peace. These, these are biblical terms, justice and peace, according to the wholesome laws of each kingdom and, and commonwealth, so that they may lawfully now under the New Testament wage war and just and necessary occasion. You can read this. You can also read about the authority of God's word and uh, uh, from chapter 1, article 6 of the London Baptist Confession. Here's what it says. And there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and the government of the church common to human action and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the word which are always to be observed. There's acknowledgement of the, of the authority of God's word even over organized societies. This is straight from the confession here. Okay, This is what we have to know is that God's word is authoritative. This is the on-ramp the authority of Scripture, and all of life for all peoples and all nations. Civil laws are doctrinal statements. This is what we got to understand about this, the, the civic realm. Civil laws in any nation or any community are doctrinal statements that are true or false doctrine. And churchmen within these communities have to do what they can to say that's right or wrong biblically. That's faithful or unfaithful biblically. That is a true law or a man-made law. And what we don't want to do is teach as doctrines the commandments of men. We all repudiate that, right? And that's what doctrinal statements, also called civil laws, are doing all across this country. They are propagating false gospel. They are evangelizing for Satan. This is proselytizing. This is what the civil this is what the civil government is doing. They're doing it to our children, they're doing it to unsuspecting Baptist ministers and pastors all across this country, not just Baptists. But you think about not just the confession, but you think about 1 Peter chapter 2 or Romans chapter 13. And you think about the God-derived authority given to the civil magistrate to reward evil and to or to reward the good and punish the evil. Those statements, reward the good, what is good? <laughs> what is good? That they're, they're obligated to have bring Christian principle in the public realm and to reward the right and to punish the good. They have Christian obligation. The civil magistrates do. You say, well, what about in a pluralistic society? They have biblical mandates that they are rejecting. So friends, when we talk about Christian nationalism here, what I'm talking about and other Baptists should be talking about is the authority of Scripture. We need faithful Baptists who recognize that Christendom is a good thing. We want to see the word of God spread. We want to see people's lives changed by the power of the gospel. We want to see communities overwhelmed by God's grace. We want to see bylaws in a community or even in the state of Illinois, for instance, which is where I live. If you look at the preamble of the state of Illinois and the constitution of Illinois, it's solid. And what I want is our state to turn back to our founding documents and ultimately turn back to the Lord and to be established as we have been established, that God would be honored, that God would be praised. It doesn't mean that everybody in the state would be a Christian. My goodness, it wouldn't mean that. However, there would be social norms. There would be Christian bumper stickers. That's not bad. There would be a Christian culture, and that's a really, really good thing. It doesn't mean that everybody would be Christian. So anyways, hope this has been helpful. Try to be succinct and bring this stuff together. If you have any questions, comments, please. Uh, share them with me, and also help me spread the word. I'm now posting these on Twitter as well. If you're in the Twitterverse and just now recognizing this, I've got 400 and something episodes. You can watch these on Gab TV. You can subscribe on The Shepherd's Crook on iTunes or Spotify or wherever, and please spread the word. I hope this is helpful, and really, I hope this has honored the Lord. So thank you so much, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.